everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm your other host, Jane. And we're your favorite podcast, all about the books of Rick Riordan. Today, we're finishing the Mark of Athena, and we're ringing in a very special, a special celebration. We have spent 100 episodes being your favorite podcast, all about the books of Rick Riordan. Yeah, it's... We're, we, we've reached it. We've, we've, we've reached triple digits. Jane, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Old. Old. We've been doing this for over two years. He keeps writing them. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, he's still doing it. It's We're not going to be done anytime soon. I don't... <laughs> I don't know that... I mean, we're probably, like, halfway through our podcast by now, right? Uh, yeah, I guess I guess because the, the Heroes of Olympus books are, like, the longest ones. Apparently, there are a bunch of later ones, but they're apparently a lot shorter. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah, I think we're, like, we're, like, almost done with our podcast. Yeah, we'll just, we'll, we'll end the podcast as soon as we finish Trials of Apollo. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> we, can, we can call it there for good. There's nothing else to be curious about or exactly. interested in. But I, I guess we shouldn't, we shouldn't concern ourselves with that yet. I, I, I want to finish off this fucking book. Let's do that. Let's let's do it. Uh, would you like me to deliver you these these final summaries? Please do. All right. Chapter 49, Annabeth. So the situation isn't great. Hurt as she is, Annabeth won't be able to actually fight Arachne. Instead, she decides to use her wits. She goes over to one of Arachne's tapestries and creates a distraction by praising its beauty, playing to the spider woman's pride, and even offering, in the official capacity of lead redesigner, her work in a spot in Olympus's grand halls. Wouldn't that be a much better revenge than just killing some kid? Arachne's hooked pretty much immediately, and Annabeth follows the wise advice of Frank Jong by keeping it simple, and fooling her into beginning the weaving of a giant finger trap. Chapter 50, Annabeth. All Annabeth can do is wait as the ambrosia she had earlier mends her leg and Arachne weaves her own demise. She's taking the webs from around the Athena Parthenos. If she took them from the floor, the whole thing would probably collapse and send everyone to the pit below, which leads straight to Tartarus. As it's untangled, the statue begins to fill the room with a powerful light. Annabeth eventually inspects the finished product and quote-unquote finds a flaw inside, tricking Arachne into crawling in and getting stuck. She begins thrashing around inside the trap, destroying some of the integrity of the floor, summoning her spider children, and even getting Annabeth caught in some of the webbing. Annabeth thinks she's doomed, but just in time, the ceiling above her explodes. Chapter 51, Annabeth. Asphalt and automobiles fall from the huge hole that the Argo 2 blasted through the cavern ceiling, destroying much of the webbing at their feet and sending Arachne down into Tartarus. But the statue's light prevents it from being harmed. All of Annabeth's stuff falls in as well, but she doesn't even care when she hears Percy's voice calling to her from the ship. It hovers down and lowers a ladder, letting everyone reach her to immediately start to share information and congratulations. But things quickly go bad. The foundation under the Athena Parthenos begins to crumble, and the fuller falls away further. Annabeth shouts for the crew to secure the statue, and everyone rushes to the ship. But Percy, who stayed behind, and Annabeth don't have the same luck. When they try to run for it, Arachne gets her final revenge. Annabeth's half-healed ankle was still caught in spider silk. She and Percy are pulled to the edge of the pit, with Percy doing his best to hold them up with one hand. Nobody can reach in time. Annabeth begs him to let her go and save himself, but instead he shouts to Nico that they'll see everyone again, from the other side of the doors of death. 
he won't be letting Annabeth go through this alone. He releases his grip on the edge, and they begin the long plunge into Tartarus together. Chapter 52. Leo. Everybody is in shock, only barely able to make themselves get the Athena Parthenos into the ship and fly off to a nearby hill. Coach Hedge blames himself for not saving them. Leo blames himself for opening that fucking fortune cookie. Hazel consoles him, and she and Nico try to reassure everyone, saying they can still feel An Percy and Annabeth alive down there. It's a cold comfort. Jason and Frank blame themselves too, Frank barely holding himself back from tears. Nico says they're going to have to trust Percy and Annabeth to survive Tartarus on their own and meet them at the doors of death, so they have to continue their side of the quest too. They've got a month at best before Gaia wakes up for good. Leo gathers his will. Now that he has the Archimedes Sphere, he can upgrade the ship to give it weapons unlike anything they could have imagined previously. Everyone looks to him. He's the ship's captain, and he'll do anything to get his friends out of Tartarus and unleash holy hell on Mother Earth. So he raises his sails, and they fly on. So Jane, what'd you think of this chapter? And the, the I guess the book as a whole? Uh, I think the, these ending chapters started out kind of frustrating. I, I really wasn't vibing with the first two. The last two are bangers and a great ending to the book. I, w I would love to hear more about your opinion on the first half. I just... I feel like the much more interesting route to go with than Annabeth, like, tricking Arachne with the whole, um... Like, oh, I'll display your art in Olympus thing while trying to find a way to kill her. Uh, would have been that she offers Arachne that, and Arachne just takes her up on it. Because I feel like... I feel like the, the, the groundwork has been laid for uh, uh, something like that to work, where uh, Annabeth has been getting mistreated by Athena for the entire book. Like, the... Athena has done nothing but fuck her over for the entire thing. And I feel like there was room for her to maybe, like, find, find like, a bit of sympathy with Arachne, someone else who got fucked over by Athena. Yeah, and yeah. I, I, it's just, as I, was, as I was reading the section of Annabeth making this offer, I was like, God, please just offer her that in good faith, and maybe it can go wrong, or maybe, like, the Argo bursts in and Arachne thinks it's treachery or something, but, like, I don't know, I... I like I like villains who like keep to their word and act with like rational self-interest. Yeah, that makes sense. I I'm of two minds about it. One, I think this uh -huh. was a very good display of Annabeth's character here. Yes, uh, I I think all throughout it, not only is it just like Annabeth herself is characterized well, but I think Arachne as a villain is used how these ending villains, these like big book villains, should be. Uh, which is sort of a setup to it's a setup to give further insight about Annabeth uh, which mm -hmm. is which I guess by the logic of my sentence means that I think every single uh, ending boss of these books should be a f reflection of Annabeth and I agree uh, that is what I'm <laughs> saying but yeah Porphyrion really uh, symbolized the fact that Annabeth only has one eye <laughs> When I read, like, oh, I'm making her do a finger trap, I at first I was like, come the fuck on. <laughs> oh, I, I, I'll i be honest, I read that and I was like, yeah, this is this is classic Greek hero tricks a guy into doing a thing shit. Yeah, it was the kind of thing where, like, I was at first like, come on, and then I was like, okay, come on, the finger trap. It, it really <laughs> grew on me super fast. Yeah. Um, but Just like it grew on Arachne. Yes, yeah, but I, I see what you mean, especially with, like, it's not clear if Arachne would have kept her word until uh, the, the next chapter when she does actually get trapped and Annabeth is like, you would have killed me anyway, right? And Arachne is like, uh, yes, I would have. I mean, no, I totally wouldn't have. 
Yeah, and I just... I feel like it would... There's been so much, like, of Annabeth, like, doubting whether Arachne really deserved what she got throughout a lot of this book. That I feel like it, it was a missed opportunity to not go into that a little bit. Yeah, I agree. I was reading the line where it's like, um, as as the Athena Parthenos was getting unwrapped, it's like, Annabeth is thinking, wow, it actually looks scarier than Arachne. And I was like, come on, it's right there. It's right there. Realize that your mom sucks and team up with the weird spider lady. Yeah. Like, looking at Athena as a, as a figure in Annabeth's life, she doesn't have the same kind of rocky... I mean, she has a rocky relationship with her, but not the same kind that, like you would find with, like, Luke and Hermes. Mm-hmm. I think, to a degree, that explains some of her actions where, like, she is not at the level where she could just reject that. Um, like, she... Mm. She hasn't been put through it in the same way. I think because she found... Probably because she found, like, a lot of community in Camp Half-Blood, and she has had, in her dealings with her mom, has had a relatively, like... Has had a relatively positive dynamic with her. I guess I'm not. I'm not even saying like Annabeth needs to to switch sides or anything. Just like you know, help the spider lady get an art exhibition going. Maybe maybe if she can spend some time on that instead of uh, murdering children, might help re- rehabilitate her a little. I super see your point. I think that would have been a really <laughs> cool way to go. Uh, one part of this that was interesting for me to read because it kind of contrasts with. Percy in the previous chapters uh, was was this mm-hmm. section here. I, I think you know exactly what I'm going to say. Absolutely. Uh, so it says, but Arachne's skill wasn't the point. She had been punished for being prideful and rude. No matter how amazing you were, you couldn't go around insulting the gods. The Olympians were a reminder that there was always someone better than you, so you shouldn't get a big head. Still, being turned into a monstrous immortal spider seemed like a pretty harsh punishment for bragging. Hey, Annabeth, who's your boyfriend again? <laughs> just just curious your boyfriend spent the, the the entire last chapter yelling at dionysus and calling him an asshole yeah this is we this is interesting we i, I want to dive in on this why does annabeth think like this and like what does it mean that she thinks like this because mm-hmm. this seems like a pretty clear like this is done on purpose to contrast with percy yeah, this seems like they're, they're going to they're gonna be stuck in Tartarus debating in the marketplace of ideas next book, I think. Honestly, if that is what happens, I would be excited. Yeah. Part of what makes this interesting to me is that Annabeth is specifically like, oh, the gods are there to stop you from becoming too prideful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we know what Annabeth's like, fatal flaw is, right? Yeah, it, it, it is also her pride, and we even see that coming up during these chapters. It's kind of what fucks her over in the end. It is. Well, yeah, it's, it's, we get the, the, the parallel there, because we learn that Arachne has basically the same fatal flaw. She is also incredibly prideful. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so it almost feels like Annabeth is positioning the Olympians as, as like, a direct response to her own emotions like as like she is using them as like a like i don't want to say like a grounding technique but that's almost what it feels like she is grounding herself in reality by thinking about the olympians oh okay yeah i can see that where it goes it goes to percy is thinking about the olympians kind of as people as just like some assholes who he has to deal with or is annabeth kind of thinking about them more as like kind of in in more 
in terms of like the social function that deities have where they're like the the idea is that they're like they teach you how to live well in the world or something right right they're they're an example of like you will never be a god Mm-hmm. So you you shouldn't try and act like a god. And that's you could almost read that you could even read that more negatively. You could read that as like Annabeth is doing a sort of like she's putting herself down because she doesn't trust herself to not become too prideful. And so she's yeah. saying this kind of she and that's why she believes this kind of thing. I think I could read that either way. I mean, I I'll be honest, I I I read it as um she she's saying that you need to doff your cap to to your local landlord. That's that's another fair. That's a completely other fair read. <laughs> but that is more filtering it through like the Percy perspective of the gods as assholes. Yeah, yeah. I think if we take it through the Annabeth perspective of like slightly more positive, like she thinks of them more individually. I think like some mm-hmm. of them are assholes, and she doesn't like some of them. Uh, but also, ugh, some of them are Athena, or you know, like she. Uh, Athena being like she is to Annabeth comes as a huge shock to her. It it really like lays the groundwork for the conflict she is having internally in this book and probably in the following books too. So her just like completely dedicate um like seeing that and rededicating yourself almost to, to like mm-hmm. to her mom, to her quest, to the gods, it is an interesting turn. I mean, I think there is also maybe a, a slightly more fucked up read to go with here, which is just like Annabeth is trying to justify the ways that, like, her mum has mistreated her for her entire life. Yeah. Because, I mean, no matter how you slice it, Athena has been an incredibly neglectful parent. Yes. She let Annabeth kind of run around on her own and almost get killed in that factory and shit. Uh, And it, it kind of makes sense that Annabeth would maybe respond to that by being like, well, no, it was necessary that they did that, and here's why. Annabeth and her mom are both tacticians, but uh, Athena is a very uncaring tactician. Yes, she will sacrifice people and their emotions and their and their like lives. Not just that, but she will hurt like her children if it is for the greater good. She will accost you in a subway and basically disown you, as Annabeth puts it. Yeah, and we are supposed to read that more sympathetically. I think like we're supposed to read that like as like her being, I guess, mentally torn apart mm-hmm. uh, in a way that is like distressing. Uh, but it, regardless, still plays into a larger pattern. Yeah, like it. it it's not. It's not her turning on a dime and suddenly becoming like this. She's always been kind of cold and shitty. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I really enjoy that they bring in the fact that Annabeth is like Olympus's lead architect. Yeah, that hasn't come up in a little while. Yeah, and so her leveraging that position uh, is makes this a bit more compelling to me. Also, because mm-hmm. do you remember we keep talking about this as Sea of Monsters three? Uh, yes. So I would I would like us to uh, go back to Sea of Monsters at the end of this book because this reminds me of how Annabeth was once also almost foiled by the idea of getting to put her own mark on Olympus. Oh uh, yeah. She, the sirens and sea of monsters you're right yeah and so like she just like arachne they both want to shape olympus and the the world probably in their image uh annabeth is turning that back around on someone else and mm-hmm. it represents i think that the the fact that she is able to do that represents a pretty good deal of character growth even mm-hmm. i just thought that was neat yeah, definitely. I 
it, it does it does definitely show that her character has changed i wouldn't necessarily say whether i couldn't necessarily say whether or not it's growth because her thing now seems to be like i'm not going to leave my own mark on the on olympus i'm gonna put this big statue of my mom there thanks for keeping a hold of it for so long bozo that's true yeah so, yeah but i think it does it does play into her thing about like justifying the olympians in these chapters where she's like oh no i shouldn't want to be expressing myself actually i should just be building cool statues of the olympians it's weird right that's not who annabeth uh-huh. is that's not who you would think annabeth is so it it really feels to me like a sign of she is not recovered at all from like the the beginning of this quest and having to do it all alone uh annabeth is not a person who annabeth is not a person who can super handle that like all of these all of these stressors being put on her uh she says it herself maybe in these chapters that like she will often try and put everything in the world on herself she will like mm-hmm. ignore others and be like oh i can just do it uh yeah and this seems to be showing like oh uh no you can't just do it on your own <laughs> <laughs> and so that i you could maybe say see that as like she is resorting to uh this further deification of the deities uh because because of that instability i'm not sure i mean i i think i think what you're saying about the instability definitely makes sense like one of the first things that we see about annabeth in this book all the way back in the first set of chapters is that she is like she's way more on edge than usual she's not thinking as clearly as she should be when she's thinking about just like grabbing Percy from Camp Jupiter and running before she can talk to them. Yeah. So I think that that does that does track with like the rest of where she's at in this book. Yeah, absolutely. I I like that she uses Frank's thing though. <laughs> I I think that's just like nice. We the 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 frank annabeth conversation earlier in the book was also one that i really enjoyed and the fact that she the that she is like oh yeah just like frank said keep it simple she's taking his advice and she is like literally literally bringing that back in a way that i quite like yeah she's using it to do some proper like nobody nobody is killing me bullshit on arachne and i i appreciate that it's awesome yeah (laughs) God, I, I didn't figure out what was going on with that until Arachne actually crawled into it. <laughs> really? I thought she just straight up said it. Like, I thought she said it in chapter 49. She says, like, oh, there's a design on here that was inspired by Frank Chang, and I didn't put together that it must have been the finger trap. I see, I see. Yeah, it's it's a clever little thing. It's yeah. incredibly funny when you realize it. <laughs> because it's the most... It's just ridiculous. It, it's... I mean, you're right. It's as ridiculous as like, no, nobody is here or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the fact that that's what she thinks of, I really like through a lot of this that like Annabeth, she is like the genius girl, right? Yeah. Big brain. Yeah. But she also isn't like, she doesn't have a non-teenage ADHD addled brain like that is still <laughs> that is still who she is she will bring the opponent down with a finger trap uh she'll she'll say shit like um did I I couldn't tell if this was literal or not but at one point she talks about how uh Olympus's first reality tv punishment program was so you think you can weave better than a goddess I think that was supposed to be a joke but also I don't know, because we know that Olympus does have TV channels. Yeah, and it seems like something that would happen. That does seem like something that would happen. 
And, like, her bringing that up in the face of, like, absolute danger, and then, like, calling Arachne, like, ancient Greek Spider-Man, and (laughs) saying that the statue of her mom, you're right that she is, like, oh, it's scarier than Arachne, but the thing she also says is that it looks like it would say, bring me tasty snacks, or else. (laughs) I... I really like that we are still having just like Annabeth as a kid. Yeah, definitely. Say say one thing about Rick Ryden, he is extremely good at making these characters sound and feel like teenagers. Definitely. Uh that being said, uh even even with all those lines, I don't think Annabeth has the funniest line in the chapter. Okay. Uh the funniest line in the chapter is when Annabeth is talking about putting up uh Arachne's stuff in Olympus and says, "Well, you know, I am the chief architect. I could pull some strings." And Arachne replies, I excel at pulling strings. I am a spider. <laughs> the way that Arachne is written here, it's a bit odd, but it is. it seems to like mostly exist for maximum, mostly humor. If I, if I had one criticism of how Arachne is kind of portrayed, it's that we kind of, we already had one kind of goofy ass final villain fight in the last set of chapters. And it would have been nice to kind of um, capitalize on how intimidating the, the, a lot of the build-up to Arachne has been. But she is mostly just a dumbass. Yes, yes. Like, she has the, a brain the size of a spider, also. <laughs> she will, she will like, immediately reveal her intentions and then be like, but no, actually, I won't do that. Like, I, I, she, she doesn't seem to have much wit, I guess. Mm-hmm. It, Mostly she is just like, I'm a talented weaver and I'm a spider. Ha ha ha. Head empty, only weaving. There are a couple moments, there are a couple passages where uh, like Rick Riordan is going out of his way to emphasize like the monstrosity of her and all. But mm-hmm. I would, I, I agree that I think it would have been better served for that to be a larger focus. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. My last thing is just, this, this is not even really a complaint. It's just, it's Annabeth being shitty in a way that is true to her character. Uh, I think she absolutely had at least a few of Arachne's murder attempts coming, considering some of the shit she says later. Uh huh. But she's she's she even mentions like um, I should have just said to Arachne like it's fine, we'll spare you. We're just taking the statue. But instead, she goes on this whole rant about how like yeah, we're going to use the statue to unite all the children of Athena, uh, and you've actually been keeping it safe for us in this place instead of letting it get destroyed by the Romans or anything like that. So thanks a lot for the favor, you idiot. Yeah, she is really, she's rubbing it in super hard. It's like, what she says is she's, she's like, I wouldn't want to kill a defenseless opponent. But she's I, she's kicking dirt in Arachne's face while she's down. I will fucking Fortnite dance over her while she's stuck in this finger trap. <laughs> uh, with, with what little she can dance with her, like, half-broken ankle. I do like the mental image of Annabeth trying to do a little dance and then just falling over. <laughs> very good somebody should make a little gif of that or something (laughs) you have to feel for arachne right arachne's been done so dirty yes she's the original got screwed over by the gods which the series really cares about generally Mm -hmm. and it it nods at that sympathy here with annabeth saying like oh she was really done dirty but you shouldn't disrespect the gods but i yeah I, i keep coming back to like i keep thinking about what you said and i just maybe they didn't have to kill each other maybe they could have just like reached an accord or something yeah and i feel like it doesn't it didn't even need to be 
go the way of like, oh, Arachne was always planning to murder Annabeth. She was just she's just kind of dumb and goes back on her word. I feel like I don't know, maybe an interesting direction to take it would have been like Arachne kind of believes that Annabeth is offering this in good faith, and maybe Annabeth even does. But a running theme of this entire series up to now has been that the gods are assholes who don't keep their word. So if Arachne takes this promise from Annabeth and is like, I know that you mean this sincerely, but as soon as I go up there with a bunch of tapestries, I'm going to get fucking master bolted into the ground. So, sorry, I I appreciate what you're trying to do for me, but this is a no-go. I'm going to kill you now. Yeah, I would have even accepted something like Annabeth, Arachne isn't going to kill Annabeth until she gets trapped. Mm-hmm. I think even that I would have been more satisfied with because I, I like the idea of Annabeth having to do that sort of betrayal. Like Annabeth pro- gives her word and then in the in a very godly manner goes back on it to to try God, to try yeah. and kill her and i think that would have been more interesting it would have had a lot of like there would be some real pathos there with like wow arachne once more got screwed like this is this is the way that athena did it this is the way that the children of athena <laughs> do it yeah and i think that would have even vied very well with um annabeth's whole like going to bat for the gods thing in these chapters i think that would work really well you're right but we got what we got. We got what we got. Maybe maybe Arachne will come back in the next book and it'll be good. I kind of suspect <laughs> that she will, unless... I mean, we don't know. They're they're all going to fucking fall to Tartarus and plop splat. I, I, I know what, exactly what I need from um, the opening of the next book. Uh, you know the bit in Portal 2, where after you hand Wheatley control of the facility and he puts GLaDOS in the potato... And then he drops you both down the hall. And there's like a solid minute of you and GLaDOS both falling. And GLaDOS is just like bitching at you for being an idiot and getting you both into this situation. I, I need like... Arachne to be doing that to Percy and Annabeth. God, yes. Like she is just like <laughs> stuck to the side. And so she can like catch up to their velocity. <laughs> like they will be falling at the same same rate at the same distance. And so it's like, oh, guess we're here for the next few hours or however fucking long it takes. <laughs> Well, I'm covered in all the silk, so I'll probably bounce. Good luck, idiots. God. Oh, God. I guess we should talk about how that falling happens, though. It does. It's, it's, it's a real Balrog's whip comes up out of the chasm and goes around Gandalf's leg situation. Yeah. Yeah, it really <laughs> is. Uh, so chapter 51, you said that you would like this one quite a bit. This this one is uh, short and fucking horrifying. Yes, yeah, it it starts off really good. I I love the description of like all the cars falling through this cavern ceiling, and yeah, like you said, it's fucking horrifying because it gives you the hope, right? It gives mm-hmm. you hope, and that's the the best thing you can do <laughs> if you want if you want to rip it away. Yeah, the ship the ship cruises in, it drops down a ladder, everything's gonna be fine, and then Annabeth thinks. Oh, there's a bit of um, there's a bit of silk on my leg, but I don't have my knife, so I can't cut it. Whatever, it's probably fine. And then that's just sitting in your brain for the rest of the chapter. Yeah, she's even like, oh, I could get Percy. I I could get Percy to cut it, but I won't right now. <laughs> it's one of those things that really like people do this constantly, right? This is everyone is always like, oh, if I'd only done that one small, really insignificant thing, it would have saved me a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
playing to that is always really effective, I think, because it's just one of the most like hyper relatable instances of like, (laughs) I don't know, like secondhand, not embarrassment, but like you can really empathize with that. You, you read that and you are, you are Walter White screaming at Hank in the car. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. (laughs) The arrival itself is really good. I, I, I love everyone swooping down in the boat and like, like Percy coming out to meet her, all of them like are everyone is running out to be like, Yay, Annabeth's back. Like people are flying, running across ladders. It's I Leo Leo is being a weird little freak where he's just like, Oh yeah, uh we'll I'm just gonna like grab the statue, uh ram it halfway through the Bombay doors and then just like tie a flag around its feet <laughs> to keep it in place. <laughs> It's really fucking funny. God, you're a little weirdo. Never change. He's so... Mm, I'm going to have a lot to say about Leo next chapter. Mm-hmm. We, I, I said, oh, those are the final Leo chapters a while back. I was wrong. <laughs> Some egg on your face now. Definitely. I shouldn't. I should not be so hasty. <laughs> <laughs> Man. But yeah, as soon as it's like they make a run for it. And I think the description is that like her own momentum pulls both of them back. Mm-hmm. Because she, for the first thing that happens, the sequence of events is just really good. She hears Hazel yell, like, her ankle, like, cut her ankle. And Annabeth is just like, she's, you know, she's running, she's going, she's like, wait, why would, why would my ankle, why would I cut my ankle? What, why would I do that? Uh, and that's when the, that's when, like, she feels the tug and she and Percy both go tumbling backward because the silk is still wrapped around her. Yeah, it has a really good, like, the description of, like, the cars falling and, like, smashing everywhere and, um, just, like, the pe- everyone running around and flying and grab, launching grappling lines all over the statue and other people running for the ladder. It's a really... It's a really well-evoked sense of just absolute chaos where a lot of stuff is kind of getting lost in the shuffle. And so, like, you know, Annabeth doesn't figure out what Hazel is talking about until it's too late. Hazel starts screaming for help once Percy and Annabeth are, um, like, sliding backwards, but it's it's too loud and there's too much shit going on for anyone to notice what's going on. And who would get lost in the shuffle but our our two main main couple of themselves? (laughs) It's just horrible, right? It's 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 legitimately horrible. We, it's almost as bad as her breaking her ankle. Mm-hmm. Like, she hits the edge of the pit and she just like sobs from like pain and like fear and everything in the fucking world. Annabeth is so vulnerable at that moment. It's terrible to read. It's terrible, which just it makes it all the more like heartwarming when um. Like, you know, Percy is holding her and can't lift her up and can't lift himself up. And, like, as soon as you read that, you know exactly what he's going to do. Yeah. It's like, there's absolutely no way in hell that he would, like, let her go to Tartarus on her own, especially in this state. Yeah, yeah. Rick Riordan can write a really good uh, character relationship. We know this. Mm-hmm. And he he's really just hitting home with uh, the Percy and Annabeth one. I... There's so many little things here. Like, Percy had to let her go alone through the quest. Now, he doesn't mm-hmm. want to let that happen again. He he know he saw what it did to her when just like j- literally just now. He would put himself through hell. Uh, to, as long as he's it's it's a thing of like if we go through it together, they both believe they can do it. Hmm. And also, I mean, from Annabeth's perspective, I'm it's 
I'm sure it's something that she really appreciates just because like she was separated for Percy for like o- over six months while yeah. Juno had him fucking stashed in her back pocket. We've talked about that before. Uh, I think earlier in this chapter when when Percy and Annabeth had their conversation like above the uh, it was like the uh, the the glass the glass uh, port. Mm hmm. We talked about how, like, Percy had to open himself up and empathize with how Annabeth always had to, like, he would always go out on quests and Annabeth, and, like, Annabeth would always have to be the one waiting at home and being afraid. And he. Or waiting under a big rock. Yes. Uh, (laughs) And he understands that and he just doesn't want to put her through any of that again. And he also now understands, like, he's gone through that now. He's, he's, now experience the other side and he says no i Mm -hmm. i that's not like it's you can't survive something like that i think this is a message that it keep that this book specifically wants to send is that you gotta you gotta rely on others you know yeah yeah because i mean that's that's even i can't remember if i mentioned this last week but it's something i really appreciate about um percy and jason's relationship which was like Everything that we looked at around, like, some of the covers for this book and the marketing around it, and even, like, kind of what we get hinted at with the Eidolons is, like, um, like hyping up, ooh, Percy versus Jason, who would win in a fight? And the conclusion of the book is, fuck it, who cares? Uh, actually, they're much stronger when they work together as a team. Yes, yeah. There's little moments in this chapter that illustrate that, too. <laughs> like, uh, Frank turning into a giant eagle and Leo riding <laughs> on his back up to the ship. I've started to wonder if maybe uh, Leo is being a little more cynical with his friendship than we realized. He saw Frank turn into a weasel and was like, wait, I can use this. I can make him <laughs> turn into a horse and ride him. Like we said, a tool in his tool belt. <laughs> He's in Leo world now. Exactly. God. I, I like that Nico is the one to rush for the pit. Uh, I he we we haven't like he's been uh trapped but he has known percy and annabeth for a long time at this point yeah Uh, he's definitely known the longest out of anyone else on the argo and so it makes sense that he would like rush for them try and get them and it's it's pretty devastating that he just can't do anything yeah and i mean it also makes sense for him to just be like you do not want to go down there (laughs) yeah yeah exactly like he would not wish that upon anyone in the world Mm mm-hmm and they've had a rocky they've had rocky relationships before um annabeth like percy has strangled nico uh that did happen uh, didn't it yes um and annabeth has theorized that nico had a crush on her i no evidence of that in these chapters even (laughs) they're not even trying to wreck on that in no no yeah i annabeth what are you talking about ever but i think that was just annabeth hyping herself up a bit (laughs) You know what? That's fine. That's okay. You gotta. <laughs> That's do her it pride. Sometimes. It's her pride. Exactly. Yeah. Ah, it's it's sad. It's it's fucked up. It's sad. It's fucked up. It's very cool that um, Percy has that moment of like, not quite passing the torch to Nico because I don't think he was literally saying to Nico like, "You're in charge now," but like, you know, you need to guide them. You need to make sure that they get where they're going and take care of them properly. Yeah, he trusts Nico to do that. Percy is like the number one friendship guy, right? Uh-huh. And so he will trust in his friends even if he 
even if he is not always sure, even if he does not always have like the faith or whatever. New type of guy just dropped. Friendship guy. <laughs> yes. Percy is definitely friendship guy. Mm-hmm. And he, I I almost do read it as like a bit of a passing of the torch because they are they're splitting in two and Percy has to he has to give the nod to someone, right? Uh-huh. That's just, that's just kind of how stories work a little bit. <laughs> I, I do think it would have been cool if Percy had found like some excuse to literally pass him a torch. I just think that would have been funny. That would have been funny. What if he like? Ooh, no, no, it doesn't make any sense. But we know that Percy actually loses Riptide. Uh, he doesn't fall into the pit with Riptide. Now, I have a couple. Like one, it could just come back to him next book because that's I assume it'll just turn up in his pocket. But number two is like we don't know what kind of fucked up magic Tartarus has. This is true. It could it could be stuck up there, and they could maybe one of them grabbed it. Maybe Nico has has Riptide now. God, that would kind of. I I can't say what that would like. What would be cool about that from like a, a story or character perspective? But uh, Nico dual wielding one kind of uh, black Stygian iron sword and one glowing Riptide sword in the other hand uh, would just look sick as fuck. Is my take. <laughs> It would just be an aesthetically like awesome thing to read. Yes, <laughs> like pure, pure like demigods rock. <laughs> We've been going fairly sequentially. Do we want to talk about the final chapter? Let's talk about the final chapter. This is I mean, the big thing. First off, format shift. Incredibly good format shift, Rick Riordan. You, you're learning from yourself. We this is the payoff to us spending. All, almost three books bitching about this formula being kind of weird and restrictive. When it's been kept here this long, when it's broken, it fucking hits. Yeah, we've been annoyed since Kane Chronicles, I think. Uh, like we, I think so, we, yeah. <laughs> we've been hoping for, like, interesting twists on it, and we finally got it. Can you, can you I guess, can you talk a little bit more about how that, how that goes here? Yeah, I mean, it's just... Chapter 51 ends with uh, Percy and Annabeth falling into Tartarus and basically out of this story. Uh, and so, like, you turn the page and the next thing is Chapter 52, Leo. Mm-hmm. Which is... It's, it also... It, it, it fucks you up because you're expecting to see what happened to Annabeth. And it's like, nope, you're not going to find out. Exactly. Yeah, instead you have to sit with everyone and... The big thing that I... There are, like, a few big things that I really like about this chapter... Uh, one of them is that we get to see how everyone responds to grief mm-hmm. in their own individual ways. A lot of them overlap, but you you do. Everyone gets their time. Even Coach Hedge gets his time. Poor Coach Hedge. Poor Coach Hedge. Did Did you notice that this is literally the thing that he's been warning them about the entire time? Wait, is it? He keeps saying, like, Annabeth and Percy, I'm going to ground you. Stop going off alone. Like, you're <laughs> you're going to get in trouble. Oh, my fucking God, you're right. He was right. Coach Hedge did nothing wrong. God, no, he didn't. He fucking... Oh, man. I. Leo blames himself, which, of course, Leo does that. But I want to talk about this, especially, like, within parallel with the last Leo chapters. Um, because I think mm-hmm. we talked about we talked about that, and we're like, "Wow, Leo has grown past that." Leo has like <laughs> he has his character arc has shifted to a point where he doesn't need to constantly blame himself for things. 
Uh, and this is him uh, spiraling back into that. Yeah, spiraling back in a way that isn't like a character reset. And it, it, the reason that this works is that Leo got past his fears. He was like, he he caught, he like, I hate, this is, I don't know, it, there's limited terminologies in the English language, but he conquered his fears, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he took the step forward toward, he opened the cookie, even though he was so afraid of what would happen. And, and uh, the reason he comes back now is because he realizes, or he, at least he thinks, he opened the cookie and this is what happened. Annabeth and Percy fell in a hole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I also think it works because, like, previously Leo was kind of blaming himself by everything a lot because of his um, insecurities. Like, he, he tended to just have, like, a very negative view of himself. And this is kind of, this is still that, but it's less from uh, a low self-esteem angle. And it's kind of still that, but now uh, fueled a lot more by rage and hatred. Yeah, yeah. Which I, I think is really interesting. I also, I, I like in these chapters, how uh, this chapter, how um, Hazel tries to kind of like um, console him and be like, you know, it's not your fault. It probably wasn't the nemesis cookie thing. Uh, and what that does is kind of fires Leo up to be like, yeah, you're right. Let's go and kill Gaia instead. Let's go and get some revenge on Gaia, which is like exactly what Nemesis wanted to happen. Yeah. Yeah. This was, <laughs> I 100% believe this is like, this is because he opened the cookie, right? In like some cosmic way. Like mm-hmm. it's cause and effect are weird uh, when you're talking about mythology and like folk tales. Uh, because like he didn't have to open the cookie for this to happen, but he did have to open the cookie for this to happen, right? Yeah, I do. I do wish there was more of a kind of a clear cause and effect here, because I think if you just kind of take a step back and look at the events that happened, if Leo hadn't opened the cookie, everyone would have died. Like Annabeth would have just like fallen into the hole anyway, probably. That's yeah, yeah. It's one of those things that's like because it is so tangled up in like the magic of it all, you can't look mm-hmm. at it from a logical perspective. I don't think, but I guess the Probably, the real yeah. the real gut punch here is like we get to next book and Leo like has to like cut out his own eye because like it turns out that that was actually the thing <laughs> for the cookie and like that was completely unrelated. God, that would kind of fucking rock as a development. I mean, it would suck because I like Leo and I don't want him to get his eye stabbed out, but as a development, that would rock. Yes. Okay, if we're just staying on Leo for a bit, mm-hmm. the ending of this chapter, uh huh, it's so fucking good, right? Uh, Jason comes up and is like, "All right, like, he's like, all right, you got this, Admiral." And Leo's like, "You know, they kid me by calling me Admiral, uh, but I am the fucking captain of this ship, and I'm gonna lead us to victory." Like, that's this. Mark of Athena was an Annabeth book, but what I'm realizing now is that Mark of Athena was also, like, Leo was the second main character. Oh, for sure. And I'm, I'm happy about that because I like Leo. Yeah, absolutely. I, mm, it's it's really good. It's, it's, they let you have the moment of, like, wallowing in it for a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you, it's a cliffhanger that doesn't, you don't just see them falling and then, bookends you don't just see everyone reacting the falling and being sad and then bookends you get the you get the bit of hope and i think that matches the like the camp half-blood chronicles ethos yeah definitely these books have never been like grimdark mm-hmm, mm-hmm. oh did, there was another little thing about leo in these chapters that i um i thought was 
kind of interesting. What was that? Uh, which is that Leo mentions that uh, with all the advanced technology he found in this Archimedes orb, he could maybe make a new control disc for a <laughs> certain someone. Oh! Oh, I didn't even notice that. <laughs> oh my god. Festus getting, is coming back. We're Festus getting Festus sweep. back. Yes, I... Oh man, how is that gonna work? That's so cool. That, oh my god, I am like excited. I didn't... Wow, that's like filling me with a burst of happiness. I love that weird dragon. I, I also love that weird dragon. I don't would they have would Leo have to like take the head off and like stick him back on the body? Maybe. I mean maybe like he'll just be able to like talk to them now. <laughs> like he'll be like have like higher functioning or something like that. Yeah, maybe it'll be like when they when they upgrade the ship computer from just like basically a fucking Alexa to like a sentient AI. Uh-huh. So maybe uh-huh. Yago will be able to like fly around on its own or something. Yeah, I could see that being true. Oh man, I'm 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 very, I'm very excited for whatever Leo comes up with because you know it'll be some shit. Oh yeah, he's also mentioning like, oh yeah, I'm gonna have even more advanced weapons, which is, Christ knows what he's gonna come up with. I assume that the Argo is gonna be like bristling with laser guns the next book. You know that it's going to be like you, there's like a hidden compartment and if you like pull a book, if you like pull the right book, then it like activates like a nuclear bomb or something. (laughs) But you can only aim the nuclear bomb with a Wii remote and it doesn't work half the time. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah, this is is an awesome ending. I really, really like it. Do we want to talk about the Mark of Athena as a whole? We we do that usually, right? Yeah, yeah. we, we We look back on the book generally. Okay, that, that's something we do on this show, right? I don't know, these, oh. these books are so fucking long that I sometimes forget what we do in the, when we're wrapping them up. Yeah, no, same. We've been going for a while. Okay, we've we've read, what, five, eight, eleven books now? Mm-hmm. Uh, Not including no- the, the little ones and, like, uh, Trace Navarre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we can... We've read... It's it's like a little bit less than 10 per episode or 10 per book on average. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh these these last few books have certainly been expanding that uh but so it, it takes a while. So Mark of Athena I it might be my favorite one we've read so far. Favorite one overall of Heroes of Olympus. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, I I would definitely agree with that. This is the strongest book in this series so far. Lost, Lost Hero had a bit of jank in the, the overall plotting. Son of Neptune was Son of Neptune. Uh, and this one's really solid. Yeah, this is solid. This is consistent. Uh, there mm-hmm. there are not like a lot of like lean episodes. We did not have like a lot of like lean sets of chapters where it's like, okay, there's not really anything to talk about here. Uh, there was there was always something for us to grab onto in a way that made that made it fun to podcast about. Yes, exactly. Um, and also, just I think the I think I was so glad that we finally got Annabeth as a perspective character. Yeah, I this this book I think like did her justice in a way that I was very happy with. Just like she's been such a big character for so long, and it it just it feels good that um, despite being kind of an ensemble thing, this feels like her story. There's a, a good focus on her. We get a lot of good moments with Annabeth. So yeah, I, it's that's one of the things I really enjoyed about this. Yeah, there are some things that it introduces, like, 
in some respects it, it is almost what I wanted out of like the series is larger like it's it feels like the next step that I was kind of hoping for out of the series approach to like an understanding of history where it feels like it's it feels like it could be teeing up actually grappling with some of the ideas and like ideologies that it's presenting and maybe confronting some of them I don't yeah. know if the, if the next books will follow through but it it could be that we're right about um, Percy and Annabeth like having having their little debate while they're down in Tartarus, uh, but the way it shakes out is that it turns out that Annabeth is correct. That's entirely possible. It's incredibly possible. It's frighteningly possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mark of Athena. Yeah, I would rank it. I would rank it probably pretty high in my overall like book rankings in general. But definitely for Heroes, Heroes of Olympus, it's at the top. I. I'm excited to see what House of Hades has to present. I think it's, if I remember Same. correctly, it's exactly as long as this book. Yeah, like down to the page, right? I think so, yeah. I'm just curious, which which ones do you think are still just a bit stronger than Mark of Athena in your brain? Mm, I, I would say like Lightning Thief and maybe like whichever one at the moment i'm deciding is the strongest of the of the original five, <laughs> uh, which I'm I'm never quite sure. I'm always going back and forth about, right? Yeah. I think I think for me it's it's not quite a lightning thief or last Olympian level. I think it sits comfortably in the same tier as like Battle of the Labyrinth and Titan's Curse, though. You're right. Yeah, I would say I I think that's completely right. Oh god. No, nowhere near like King Chronicles level. Thank God. No, uh, we we've long passed. I I wish King. My, our final going back to just doing a podcast about Kane Chronicles thing. Uh, I, I wish the Kane Chronicles was so much better. It could have been really good, I think. There were some good ideas in there. If we had just sacrificed Heroes of Lent, I would have sacrificed those first two <laughs> books for a better for a better Kane Chronicles. Who gives a fuck? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we might just be biased because we read those first. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. <laughs> so we had uh, an idea. We, we were always talking about how our listeners never send us questions. So we thought we would force you to send us questions that we could answer for episode 100. So we got a bunch of them in. So the most of these came in from our Discord server, uh, which you should join. We'll include a link in the tweet uh, when, when this is tweeted out. Mm-hmm. Jane, do you want to read the first question? I would. I would also like to say very quickly up front, just as like uh, a little bit of a little bit of circling background to episode one. Uh, in episode one, uh, I dunked on a lot of the questions we got sent in and said they were kind of shit. Uh, I think these are all really good questions. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> so well done, everyone. You got better at asking questions. <laughs> we have we have so. like a better audience now. I think. <laughs> I feel like it's mostly the same people and also some more people. Yeah, yeah, it's better to have more people. <laughs> All right, uh, this one is from uh, Danny, who asks, what are your favorite character rankings for all the Riordanverse books you've read so far? That's a big one. That's a big one. Shit, do we, should we compose like a, okay, how do you want to do this, Shane? We could do like a, just like rattle off a few characters we like. Do we want to do like a top five? Rattling off a top five, I think, would be the, the way to go that means that we still have time to do the other questions. Okay, Leo, Percy, oh fuck, Sadie, Sadie Kane. Yeah, that's fair. Um, oh shit, it, it's Piper, and I don't know who's my fifth favorite character. Annabeth, I guess. Yeah, I guess Annabeth. That'll do. Uh, my list has a lot of crossover with yours. I've got uh, Percy, Leo, 
Calypso is a good character who I like a lot. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think of, like, non-major characters. But, yeah, Calypso is an mm-hmm. amazing character. Uh, Mr. D, absolute be- best best Olympian by far because he's such an awful person. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a favorite god so far. I Oh, man. I, I, if I had to, like, give a nod to a god, I would probably say, like, maybe Aphrodite? I, mm-hmm. She's had such a strange, like, series of turns. Uh, she's a very oh, weird character. Bez. Bez. <laughs> anyway, my most favorite character is Mad Claude. Of course, of course, yes. <laughs> uh, this next one is also from Danny. Uh, best prophecy. How many prophecies do I remember off the top of my head? <laughs> yeah, maybe if, if you remember one, that'll be the best one because it's the most memorable. If I remember, the one I remember is the, the uh, big three prophecy from... Uh, PGO. I mean, I do. There is one other one that I remember, but it's the shitty like the son of Neptune will drown a bunch of people in a lake, uh, and that one sucks. <laughs> that one sucks. But it was. You know, I was gonna say that one because it's so funny that Aries just wrote it on a piece of paper. <laughs> oh no, that's a different one. That that oh. one is the one that Aries did was also extremely good. I'm talking about the one that Ella like half read. Oh, which was, like the son of Neptune will drown. Yeah, that's my least favorite prophecy. <laughs> that one sucks. No, the Ares one is good. My favorite one is the Ares one. <laughs> uh, actually, I really like the Mark of Athena one. Is my actually maybe my favorite prophecy. I really just love the like verbiage. I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wisdom's daughter walks alone. The Mark of Athena burns through Rome. Twins snuff out the angel's breath, who holds the key to endless death. Giant's bane stands golden pale, one through pain from a woven jail. It, I think it's one of the just like better better like it feels really cool to say uh-huh it's very yeah if you imagine fucking rachel elizabeth dare's eyes glowing green while she's saying this in a weird echoey voice it rules yeah yeah and i the mark of athena burns through row i i don't i i love the word burn i don't know why <laughs> like it, it contributes a lot if you have the word burn in a sentence i think it's 10 times as good and hey animeth did set fire to that bridge Oh, true. Yeah. <laughs> Danny also asks, what gods would be your godly parents? Fuck. Um, that's hard. That's difficult. I think we took, we took some quizzes early on. They, the results were inconclusive. Yeah, I think, like, some of them said Athena is what we usually got. Mm-hmm. I, if I had to, like, if I was, like, which one would I want to... It, the question is, which gods would be my godly parents, so... Yeah. I think if I... If I had to pick, like, one demigod trait that I've read, which has had me, like, sitting here and nodding and going, yeah, he just like me for real, for real, it'd be, like, Leo, like, having to sit and do something with with his hands and, like, build a little thing or make a little thing whenever he is, like, trying to do something else. Like, I I, I feel like Leo also would, like, zone out and end up with a shelf full of Gumpla. He absolutely would, but they would, like, move and fight each other and stuff. God, that would rule. So I'm, I'm going to say Hephaestus. Hephaestus is a good pick. I I think mine would probably be, like, a minor god. I don't know which... I, maybe, maybe I would be a kid of Nemesis. I don't know. I feel like I'm a vengeful person. Uh-huh. I don't know. I This is a different... I'm not <laughs> sure is my, is my, my real answer. I, <laughs> I, 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 I don't really know what's my best trait jane what what kind of thing what 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 you can assign me a god hmm i think maybe um oh what's her name hestia i think your vibes are very chilled out in the same way that hers are 
I like that idea. I don't know that Hestia has kit. Does she? She probably does. Yeah. Probably. Uh, next one, also from Danny. Favorite book you read so far, and what's the most unexpected thing y'all have liked about Ryden's writing? For me, uh, Lightning Thief still stands alone. That's still my favorite in the series, uh, because because of the thing in it that I like the most about Ryden's writing, uh, which I wasn't expecting. Which was just like when when he goes for it with like going in with like the descriptive prose for like just making an area seem beautiful. He can really fucking do it. Like the imagery from that book of like. Um, Los Angeles burning at sunset while Percy and Ares are having that fight on the beach still sticks in my head. It's really good. Yeah, definitely. I I would say probably my favorite book has been probably The Last Olympian. Mm-hmm. I but I, I think the actual favorite thing that I have found, like I just did not realize Rick Riordan had this in his tool belt until we read this and also until also until we read Trace Navarre. Mm-hmm. Um was his incredible ability to just like bring out the evocative and important details of a space of like yeah. just like, to really make a place feel like oh this character like lives here they see everything like i i adore a really well built out just like i guess uh areas and it's so, like san antonio and yeah. uh in fucking tres navarre was um was amazing to me and i think there have been some good examples of that like in uh i think calypso's island was kind of like that uh, to Phillips's like, Island, the way he talks about Rome in this book. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I, that's probably up there for me. I also, I think I was expecting flatter characters, to be honest. Yeah, makes sense. This is, everyone loves the Percy Jackson characters. There's like a big fandom <laughs> for this series. But also I don't, I mean like, there's a big Harry Potter fandom too, right? Yeah. And those characters are not exactly the most well-rounded. But I, I think he he tends to deliver like a a character arc he actually does like character arcs that are pretty <laughs> I, I i like it i like it yeah i mean that kind of sounds like the bare minimum but at the same time a lot of the time like fandom characters you take off are ones who you can kind of project all your own bullshit onto like i mean that's that's even like like consciously what's done with like homestuck characters yeah definitely so like yeah the the, the characters being as three-dimensional as they are is definitely like kind of surprising in that environment Next one from uh, Tanner, who asks, "What's your favorite line that you've read?" Og, there, <laughs> there have been a lot of good. Let me let me pull up uh, some PDFs really quickly. Uh huh. Okay, I think I've got mine. Go ahead. So, I I might come up with a different answer if I had like infinite time to look through the books uh, and find a good one. But this is just the one that sticks out the most in my head from recently, and it's just the one from uh, chapter twenty of Mark of Athena where the opening of the chapter is the new civil war had begun where it's just a really it's just a punchy impactful way to open a chapter it took a swing on something that i thought the ride and was going to kind of try and swerve out of having to deal with it's just it's really good i like it yeah god absolutely hit me with yours i I think i've got to keep it simple i've got to stay true to my heart i've got to go back to the calypso chapter absolutely understandable I there and there's a lot there. There's so much just like absolutely heartbreaking stuff. Like I could mm. talk about like you know for the rest of my life I would always be thinking about her. She would always be my biggest what if. Or um, Calypso like being confused when Percy's asking about the guarding, just being like it doesn't have to do anything, and that kind of being a, a big moment for him when oh. he's like got all this weight on him. Yes, yes, that. <laughs> 
that one um but that is actually that leads up to one of my actual favorite lines which is like it's not beautifully written but it just like left a lot in my heart and when it pays off later it just like makes me cry um when uh calypso says the fates are cruel percy just remember me uh plant a garden in manhattan for me will you Mm -hmm. i just i don't i there's so much there like her isolation her like love just the the idea of like go and plant a garden in manhattan that's fuck it's the entire thing is good go read that chapter if you want my favorite line it's all my favorite line those chapters that chapter is just full of amazing lines because it's all good yeah danny asks predictions for any of the events of trials of apollo oh fucking hell who knows jason and piper break up off screen (laughs) this is my big swing i don't really have any evidence for this one other than their relationship seems like kind of crappy uh I, I know a few things about Trials of Apollo. I'm going to try and keep mm. it to things I don't know. Um, I, I'm i going to predict that, like... I'm going to predict that it's going to, like... It's kind of a pessimistic outlook, maybe. I'm going to predict that it starts really strong and, like, kind of, like, putters out by the end. <laughs> uh, and we're like, why did we... Why was there this extra series? It could have ended with Heroes of Olympus. I think... You know what? That's a distinct possibility. Actually, I, I don't have a prediction, but I do have my hope. Okay. Uh, which is uh, that I hope that it's called Trials of Apollo because it's Apollo being put on trial for all the shit from the diary of Luke Castellan. I also hope this is, ex- or just like anything, <laughs> just like any, literally just be like, your your vibes are off. Be gone. You're also driving Luke's mom mad, I think, if I recall correctly. There's a lot of stuff. Uh, Apollo can go fuck himself. Yeah. Yeah, he can. I... I think that, like, if if the series was literally just... Because I don't really know the overall arc of it or anything like that. If it was literally just, like, Apollo trying to, like... The idea of a god having to go through trials is a distinct and interesting one because usually you get, like, demigods and mortals doing that. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm hoping this uh, is an answer to the question of, like, I guess the morality of the gods and maybe we get more about their position in the universe. I, w- I would like that Ooh, more. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if presenting Apollo as just like a normal fallible guy is going to make Annabeth's head implode after the conclusion she comes to in these chapters. <laughs> oh God. Oh, this, this next question's for you, for you, Jane. Uh, like it's for you to read for sure. Oh God. Here we go. Uh, if the ride inverse were a mecha anime, what mech models would the characters pilot? This is a really good question that came like a couple of days after I started formulating my own theory of like the <laughs> Percy Jackson mecha universe. <laughs> I don't I don't know if you leaked that secret into the world or what, but I don't think I did. Okay, so this is an incredible coincidence. Uh I first of all, mecha anime, it is like the Olympus Corp it is like the Olympus Corporation or like the mm-hmm. Olympus Syndicate. Uh and it is a series they are all like head it's it's kind of like the setup for uh uh for Wish for Mercury where they are all these different uh like corporations who are competing and like rivals and it's a pretty straightforward plot, I think, with just like instead of a god, it is like Percy is like secretly the child of this like court of this like CEO and he is sent off with like this experimental weapons technology uh to recover like basically what's still probably just the nuke um 
probably just like a floppy disk with some blueprints for a real fucked up mac or something yeah yeah um this eventually turns into uh the realization that there is a like a fascist empire on the edge of uh, on the edge of space that people didn't even realize like had mechs by this point uh Mm -hmm. who uh who have who are actually like the ones manipulating the turn of events and it's this entire message about how like uh fascism rises from uh capitalism and like liberalism and stuff like that (laughs) um and uh, that eventually, of course, turns into uh, we, then we eventually get to Heroes of Olympus, where uh, there is like we return to Earth. We return to the literal planet Earth, which we have not seen up to this point. And that is there is like the I don't know, it's like the fucking Gaia Legion or some shit like that. And I don't know. I I'm, I'm still working do- on it. We do Gundam 00 Awakening of the Trailblazer. We just throw aliens at it. Yeah, yeah. We could just we can have some aliens probably. I, I, that's <laughs> that's my thoughts. I guess that's my yeah. thoughts on what a general Ryder inverse mecha anime would like, but I would look like. But I don't know about the, the specific question. I, I'm still thinking about it. Now that was some interesting uh, thematic stuff that you were going on about there, Jacqueline. But have you considered Wow Cool Robot? You're right. I, I, <laughs> Jane, tell me about some mech models the characters would pilot. Uh, let me think, let me think, let me think. Well, here's a question. Do, do, are we going for, like, hard, like, Gundam-level sci-fi, or are we going for, like, a little bit of sci-fi fantasy? I, I, I'm a sucker for real robot, but I, where, where does your preference lie on that spectrum? Because, uh, like, I think if we were at the point where it's, like, it's just, like, a, it's, like, a Gundam, but also it can do a little bit of, like, elemental control or something like that, you know? Ooh. Like okay, it, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I think I think Percy would have like a very like a lightly equipped, very fast, very like offensively oriented mech, like just with a big sword, which is his whole thing is just it gets very close to you and then it hits you. Yeah, yeah, Luke's mech would probably be like, I Luke has two mechs, right? Like Luke has a has one mech when he's introduced, which is just like the standard, but it's like a bit, it's a bit customized. Um, and then it is like he gets a different one when he like it, uh, does his big turn. I think it's incredibly funny that you described like exactly what happens with the the mobile suits of the shark clone from Iron Blooded Orphans. Is that true? That's like really that funny. is to to a letter what happens. God, that's funny. <laughs> but yes, you're absolutely right. What does Annabeth have? I think Annabeth has like maybe like a, a long range sniping mech that I think would get like frequently underestimated but it has like a beam dagger or something so when people try to get in close to it and be like ah this is basically a free kill they get fucked up oh yes yes that's really good i think that i clarice clarice has like you know how i mean mechs are always just like using cool weapons and stuff i think clarice uh you never expect the mech to just like fucking throw you and she definitely has like she will just throw you clarice 100 percent has the uh, the Gundam Gushion rebake from Iron-Blooded Orphans, which is the, the biggest, tankiest piece of shit in that series. It's huge, it's brown, it has, like, a massive backpack with four arms. So just, like, it, it's got... It can hold, like, four guns at a time. It's got a giant axe to smash you to death with. Uh, and it also has a giant pair of scissors on its back. Which it just pulls off and will like clamp around your cockpit and like crush you to death with, and that just that has such Clarice energy to me. 
That's so fucking cool. Uh, <laughs> who has like the non-standard, like non-human style of mech? I'm sure there's like Leo. Leo, yes. Leo's got a dragon mech. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> oh my. Wait, yes, yes. Festus. He inherits it, right? He inherits it from. Oh my god. Absolutely. That's so, that's so cool. Oh he my fixes god. Fixes up a crappy old one. Yes. Uh, I feel like Thalia probably also has like she. It, it's more of a jet, but it's like it can also be a mech. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Although mm, she doesn't like flying. Oh, she doesn't like. Yeah, that's true. Jason might have that. It, it would be a transforming one for sure. Like it would go be, be like, but it would be a transformer. It would go between human and jet mode. Thalia's maybe got an older version of Jason's one that can't transform, and Jason is like the slightly sleeker, newer one. Yeah, yeah. That's 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 a good pull, I think. Oh man. Uh, Piper, Piper's mech is like, uh, it's like literally an ancient mech, I think. Um, like, I think it was literally like, oh yeah, we have this pile of scrap, go dig through it. (laughs) And like, she's like, wait a second, this is like weird. This really calls to me. And it turns out that it's from like some fighter, like a thousand years ago or something like when mechs were first invented and she like customizes that. And I think she, she has that, but she starts out with like, um, like a kind of hot rod mech, which is covered in like, I don't know, promotion for her dad's movies or some shit. Yeah. 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 That's really good. Um, Frank. Oh, wait. Uh Uh-huh. I want to add something to Piper's. Uh, I think it ha- it has, like, electronic warfare capabilities. Like, its whole thing is that it can, like, subvert and take control of other mechs to, like, symbolize her charm speak powers. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I think when it comes to people who are, like, n- either neurologically or, like, psychically connected to their mechs, we're looking at, like, Nico and Frank. Mm-hmm. I think that Nico has, like, a... Nico has, like, one of the more fucked up, like, uh, like mechs in the series, probably. Um, even if it's not, like, outwardly, like, this looks scary, uh, he is, like, actively damaging himself using it. Oh, yeah, 100%. He has, like, a big, spiky, really edgy-looking mech. And All I think, black. Yes, yeah, exactly. Frank's, <laughs> I think, is more of a, like... Frank doesn't know how to fucking pilot a mech at first, right? Uh, Absolutely not. He has to learn, and he has to, like... By the end of it, though, he is more connected to, like... He will move his arm, and the arm and his, and the arm of the mech will move. It is, like... It, uh-huh. it's a, it's, it matches in that sense. Oh, it could even be, like... He's had, like, uh, the, the, the gunned format surgery, which kind of... In, in which, from Mercury, it kills you. So he can like he can operate his mech really well. He's really powerful, but it also uh, like it damages him and puts a limit on his life. It means that he'll die quite young. Oh yeah, yeah, that's really good. Uh, who are we forgetting? We've got I think we got all the seven, right? Mm-hmm. No, we have we haven't done Hazel. We oh my god, we haven't so done Hazel. Fuck Hazel. Oh man, what's Hazel's mech like? Oh, uh... what is a ghost like in the Gundam series? We already did an ancient one, so it can't really be that. Yeah, maybe like she built it herself. Is that like I she, or like oh oh no I know what it was. She Ooh. uh she had to like help build it for the enemy, right? Uh, oh shit, yeah. She 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 has like a standard mech at first, but then she faces down someone and is like, "I built this machine. Like I was forced to help build it, and now I am here confronting it." And eventually she takes she takes control of it again. 
Yeah, she like kills them, like smashes the cockpit in, and then takes it. Exactly. It's it's one of the coolest sequences in the entire show, I think, is what, <laughs> what it would be. Absolutely. Uh, and finally, Coach Hedges. <laughs> of course, Coach Hedges. He has, like, a big orb with hands. Uh, <laughs> it's basically like a giant Haro, I think. Do you mean the... Do, I mean, that's literally a mobile suit in, in the original Gundam. It's just a ball with hands. Yeah. I think... I, I want to make my pitch for him being, like, um... Oh, what's his name? I think it's like Takaki or something from uh, Code Geass, who is like this this shitty side character who never really does anything of value and never contributes. His only role is that he's really like proud of himself, and in every single battle he shows up in like a grunt suit and gets wiped out, but doesn't die and just shows up again, like still <laughs> confident in the next battle. God. I think that's Coach Edge. That's really good. <laughs> oh, I think Kronos is Mech. Kronos, because Kronos has to have a mech, right? Uh huh, one hundred percent. Um, you have you played Heaven Will Be Mine? Uh, yes, I played it with you. Right, right, right. Uh, Pluto's mech in that. Uh, the sheer like gravity and like unreality of it. Uh, mm-hmm. like the fact that like it is forcing, it is exerting a pressure on you constantly. Uh, which is like it is this. It's not like literally the size of a planet, but it has the gravity of a planet and also the gra- the gravity of like all of culture. Uh, that is, I think, exactly the vibe that Kronos's mech would be, but even but like super evil, super super evil. And I think that the gravity thing especially works because like you can use gravity to do time fuckery, so you can like slow you down while he's shooting you or something. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, that's really good. Oh, and it's like. It's, like, way bigger than all the other ones, and it's got, like, uh, a mech-sized cockpit, and inside the cockpit is Luke's mobile suit. Yeah, that's exactly... Yeah, I was like, oh, <laughs> is it constructed partially from, like, a destroyed Luke's mobile suit? But no, yeah, that's it. Because Luke's <laughs> the one piloting it in the end, right? Luke is yeah. the one who's piloting Kronos' mobile suit. Exactly. God, that's fucking... Oh, man. We're... <laughs> oh. Rick Riordan, hit us up. <laughs> Please. Okay. <laughs> The next question is for also from Erica: Is Luke a Char clone? I think I think this would have been debatable before the last set of Percy chapters. Yeah, I think after the last set of Percy chapters, he like it uncannily fits the definition of a Char clone. Hey, can I ask you a question, Jane? Uh-huh. Do you know about that series that's about there's this young kid uh, who has a very important father who is forced into battling for like a, a side that is like <laughs> presented at first as like, of course, these are the protagonists, but you realize that it's more like these are the like, this is the hegemony, like this is the status quo that we're fighting for. And that does not necessarily mean they're good. In fact, sometimes they are outright incredibly evil. Um, and uh, versus uh, their foil, who I. Uh, on one hand is absolutely like working for the fascists but also has like incredible like has this like secret about their family uh and is ultimately like ultimately working ultimately wants to work for the side of good like their own sense of justice uh and uh do you do you know about uh this series uh yeah i'm I'm watching zeta gundam at the minute yeah <laughs> oh my god. He's blonde as well, which is kind of the final nail in the coffin for that one. Fuck, that's so yes, Luke is a shark clone. <laughs> uh what does this next question mean? Oh fuck me. This is my fault. I told Erica to post this. 
she asks which god was the most ready for Rishi. Uh, ready for Rishi is the uh, idiotic catchphrase that our current prime minister was using during his like uh, leadership campaign. Oh my god! Where he was like handing out um, uh, boxes with like some some party like party bags with like twixes in them to journalists with like hashtag ready for Rishi written on them what? to get them to write nice things about him. I fascinating. So which god? I, I guess I'm giving this one to you too. <laughs> which god was the most ready for Rishi? Uh, who's that asshole? The the one that um Sadie and Carter ran into while they were um going through all those different realms. Who like made them trade Bez's life? Oh, not Nakbet. Um, who the fuck was it? It was the it was the the moon one. Moon Moon Eye guy. Yeah. It was the Egyptian, the Konsu. Konsu, uh, yeah, because just like Rishi Sunak, uh, he killed their elderly relative. God. (laughs) Oh, Christ. Friend of the show, Sam, has a question. Question, I found this note I wrote after a dream I had in May 2021. Could you help me interpret it? Boyfriend known Chompley, Chompley with a zero. Uh, Chome is actually impoter Noam Chomsky. She realizes due to habits, you must have been him for a long time. Pushes through open book hookcase onto drop on other side, wad splats, black liquid on floor. Uh, I'd say this is pretty obviously uh, a dream about uh, the hit uh, animated movie series, Gnomeo and Juliet. That seems true. The word gnome keeps coming up, uh, and I assume that it's just been misspelled from G-N-O-M-E and uh, as N-O-A-M, so... That's what I think is going on here. That makes sense to me. I'm happy uh, we can help. Kiara asks, if you were an... I think this will be our final question, too. If you were an author of a middle-grade book series, what would the gimmick of your series premise be? This is a good question. This is a very good question. Jane, you're a writerly type. <laughs> oh, God. I do say that about myself, don't I? Uh, come up with a gimmick for middle-grade children's books. I would also be curious... When you were like younger, did you ever have ideas like this? Like, I would like it, I would have this story. And it would be about, uh, you know, like X number of characters, and they're themed around this, and they're all having a big fight or that kind of thing. I think actually no, there was one where I, I like kicked around the idea of it when I was like a lot younger, which was um, uh, it's about like uh, the the story would be like a, a, a young a young girl who uh spends a lot of time hanging around in like uh, a shitty thrift shop uh because the owner is just kind of uh cool and then one day she accidentally like uh takes something from the store which turns out to be like a cursed magical item uh and it turns out that um the owner of the store is a witch Ooh. uh and she kind of she saves the the main protagonist girl from like the cursed magical item uh and then kind of at her insistence starts giving her magic lessons and kind of in the background of this, there's a, a mystery of, like, who, where did this witch come from then? Because she's not actually from Earth. She's, like, been exiled from another dimension where she was maybe evil. Who knows? That's that's about as far as I got with that concept. That's really fun. <laughs> okay, so first of all, mine would be a horror series. Absolutely. Also, I assume my thing already exists. That that idea is, like, too broad to not have been written by someone else already. Oh, definitely. That's, like, isn't that, like, what the Owl House is? Fuck, that is the Owl House. <laughs> I came up with that before the Owl House started. Dana Terrace owes me money. <laughs> um, 
I had a lot of ones that were like, oh, there are 12 fighters and they're all themed around the Zodiac. Like, I had a lot oh, of those ones. Oh, my fucking God. I can no. guess why. <laughs> no, when I was like eight, like way, like, way uh, before Homestuck. I can't imagine a version of Jacqueline who is not Homestuck. That's fair. It probably went like retroactively too. <laughs> it would be a horror series about like, it would follow a, a group of like ragtag children who all have who are all like vaguely themed around like classic monster archetypes uh mm-hmm. trying to just like live in this city and like it would largely be illustrated through just like incidental adventures um like oh in this book uh one of them is going around town and trying to like sp- i don't know spray paint his name everywhere but there is a but there's a mean cop who is trying to stop him uh but these adventures would be sort of a not a front, but they would more largely be there to establish, like, the setting and, like, the overarching character arcs. Like, I think there would be some, like, Bartimaeus, like, uh, the main character from, like, book one is now, like, the asshole everyone fucking hates in book three. <laughs> this is, this I see, is you an- got your eye on the long game here. Yes, this is, this is an idea. That's a good idea. I, I would read just the fun incidental adventures of some monster kids rattling around a big city. Yeah. So that's all of our questions. Thank you, everyone, who submitted them so much. Those were all really good questions. Yeah. And more broadly, thank you, everyone, who's like listened to the show so far. Yeah. Like, seriously, that it means a lot. I... I'm incredibly happy that anyone listens to this show. When it was like two people every week, uh, I was like, wow, <laughs> two fucking people are listening to this bullshit that we're slopping out into their plates. Uh, and now it's like 50 plus people a week. And that's just kind of like wild to think about. It's wild to think that like some of these people are people who we've never met or interacted with. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just wild. Definitely. And it, I don't know, it just feels like really nice like wow i i'm glad that you know i i'm a big podcast like listener and i have mm-hmm. my i have my favorites that like i come back to as soon as they're published or whatever and i know that like a few people have talked about us that way um and that just makes me really like happy so i don't know thank you everyone yeah doing this series reading the series and doing this podcast has just been kind of amazing jane what what's what are some of your favorite moments of the podcast so far or least favorite i i feel like an eternal all-timer for me i can't remember if this is main show or bonus show actually but it was um i tried to trick you into doing a vocal warm-up exercise uh which was actually just like a way to like make you look like you were like jacking off a dick <laughs> Uh, and I went through the entire rigmarole of trying to trick you into doing that while we were recording, uh, and you just kind of kept nodding along saying, yep, I'm doing that, while not doing it because you were distracted by something else. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was playing 4D chess, and you were playing checkers, and you defeated me. Yes. Yes, that was my... God. I think we published that one on the, the main feed. It was a bonus episode, but we published it. <laughs> God. That... That was an incredibly good. Every single time. Oh yeah, that if you want to go back and listen to that, that's tw- that's a bonus nectar of the pods. Twelve year old Jane Gingham style cringe. I did title it that, didn't I? You did. Um, <laughs> I love. 
I love making titles for this podcast. Mm. Uh, I I have a I don't know if listeners can tell, but I have a lot of fun doing it. I get lists of prospective titles in my DMs. Yes, I I want to always give the best one I can. Um, Tower at Titty Trance uh, <laughs> is one of my favorites. Uh, Dad's getting off is that every single time I see it, I like flinch. I like have to recoil. Like, why did I type that? I feel like, yeah, I think one of my favorite titles is uh, a sketch pad, colored pencils, and some rope, just because it's so fucking ominous. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I, we, early on, we, like, we always did the, like, Percy Jackson title format thing of, like, we do blank, X does blank. Um, I, I'm very glad we broke that eventually. Mm-hmm. But, I think we did two like we become X in a row and that kind of killed it. Yeah, we yeah, we become monster donut kids and then there was a Jacqueline becomes a Tinder dude, bro. Yeah, that's it. And it was like, okay, there's there's only so many verbs. Uh and then after immediately after that you went into your greatest title in my opinion, uh where you called the episode about the Hoover Dam a damn fine episode. <laughs> Thank you. Uh I also just like looking back on stuff thank you to uh thank you to rabbits and thank you to kiara the only two guests we've ever had on the show yeah it's very cool to have people who give enough of a shit to come on yeah i think you know marcy too who has also come on the show but in in a couple of unreleased episodes that are should be coming i want to say later this month fuck yeah that'll be our that'll be our sleep away game i hope you're all excited for that i am excited for that but we started this you gave me such a good way of like referencing the time frame when you were like, "Oh yes, we started this uh like immediately after January 6th." <laughs> God, we really we really did just like instantly date the first episode. It was really fucking funny. <laughs> I don't know. I I like I like being able to do this podcast. I like spending time with you doing this stuff. It's very enjoyable, I think. Yeah. I'm glad that other people enjoy it as well. Yeah, we weren't friends before this, actually. We were randomly <laughs> matched up uh, by a podcasting service. It was the unreleased pod jam that never came out. Yes, exactly. That's that's not true. We, we've been friends for years and years before this. But I I don't know. I feel like we've become much better friends through this. You've become one of my best friends. and Same. I, I really... I don't know. Thank you, Jane, for everything in the world you do. Thank you, Jacqueline, for all the stuff that you do as well. And thank you to the listeners and... I, yeah, Unwise Girls rocks. It's it's fucking cool. Lots of cool. people are saying this. Yeah, everyone is saying this. Uh, thank you to Moonshot. Also, thank you to Moonshot. Yeah, it, it it's incredibly cool that a bunch of professional podcasters looked at a thing and was like, yeah, this is good enough to be on a network. Yeah, yeah, like, we, to be in, like, Moonshot's, like, first recruit class, I guess, um, <laughs> is one weird way of saying that. Um, Moonshot first class. Yes. We get oh. shot in the back and paralyzed at the end of it. Oh, God. I. How do they kill the guy whose power is that he can't die? I fucking. Like. Um, Wolverine? No, Darwin. The, Darwin's literal thing is that he can adapt to literally anything, and then they just, like, make him explode. Oh. It's, I mean, it's difficult to adapt to being exploded. Fucking. <laughs> oh. He would just, like, turn into unexplodable steel or something. I, I, I hate that movie. <laughs> I, do, I do like the part where Wolverine says fuck, though. That's good. That is good. What? Also, before we before we wrap up our retrospective, I would just like to note for the record, 
uh, that when Jacqueline said, hey, let's do a series retrospective at the end of this, I thought you meant a retrospective on the uh, books. No way, I totally said we should do one on the podcast and the books. Oh. Well, I only wrote stuff down for the book one, so I've been busking this whole time. Oh, fuck. Well, let's talk about <laughs> the books too. Shit, I don't know. My my only real big thing to say about the series at this point was just, it's a fucking miracle that these books are still as good as they are. Yeah. Like, 11 books into this universe and you can still put out, like, a Titan's Curse level banger is genuinely impressive given how hard some other, like, kids YA series fall off. That's really true. Like, ah, I hate to say it, even Kane Chronicles was not the worst thing I've ever read, right? I no, I've read worse books. And I, I think that Rick Riordan is a genuinely good writer. Um, mm-hmm. And I appreciate I appreciate his work quite a bit. I... I mean, I'm I'm excited for that fucking TV show to come out whenever it does, and I'm I'm very I don't know I yeah I'm super excited for where this series could go in the future. I think it'll I I hope it'll stay good. I think it will. I f- I feel like we would have heard about it if it really like falls off a cliff quality wise. Yeah, I I think that's gonna do it for us today though. Thank you for joining us for our hundredth episode. Uh, and thank you to thank you to uh our intro and outro music Super Mario Ocean uh which is by Space Pony. You can find that at OC Remix. Uh, thank you for our uh, cover art uh, done by Vera at Innsmouth underscore in on Twitter. Uh, thank you again to the Moonshot Network, who we recently guested on uh, Champs in the Making, uh, their Pokemon Bracket podcast. We, we we did an Unwise Girls sweep and killed a bunch of <laughs> po- Pokemon that people like. A bunch of Pokemon that I liked as well. Yeah. And you can find us on Twitter at Unwise Girls and other places too. I think Twitter might literally be exploding as we're recording this. I think you know, like people can't send tweets anymore, apparently. Oh, great. To find us anywhere, you'll find links to the show, to the Discord. You'll get tweet updates when episodes go live, uh, visual companions sometimes, all that stuff. If you want to support us, you can go to your favorite app, your favorite little podcast app, leave a five-star rating and review, we would super duper appreciate it. If you want to ring in the 100th episode with us in a super special way, you go to patreon.com uh, slash unwisegirls, <laughs> where for the dollar a month, you get the Discord role of Camp Counselor. For $3 a month, you get the Discord role of Friend of Bacchus, as well as all of our bonus content. Yeah, uh, on the last bonus episode, uh, we, well, in the last couple, we've been digging into uh, Black Sails, which is a, a series where, like, if I had a nickel for every cast member the Percy Jackson TV show had poached from Black Sails, I would have two nickels. Which isn't a lot, but it's weird that this happened twice. Poseidon and uh, Medusa uh, both featured quite prominently in that series. Yeah, and also the writer, the, or like the writer or executive producer of uh, Percy oh, Jackson really? and Black Sails are the same. I didn't. Michael Bay? <laughs> no, John Steinberg. I see. <laughs> Thank God, not Michael Bay. <laughs> And for $5 a month, you get the Discord roll of Venus is Chosen, all of our bonus content, and a special thank you at the end of every episode. Speaking of which, uh, this week we'd like to thank uh, Sammy, Danny, Tanner, Mercy, Veronica, Friend, Bree, and Erica. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And as we always say, at the end of every single episode. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. Bye-bye. Bye. We've done that sign off a hundred times now. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Lights. Camera. Adaptations. Ever watched your favorite book become a movie and said, huh, well that certainly was a weird decision? Of course you have. Hollywood is constantly making changes for their adaptations, and this podcast aims to answer the question of why. Join host Emma Shannon and a different guest every month on Unnatural Selection, a new Moonshot Network podcast, as they talk about a film, its source material, and what makes an adaptation good, faithful, and less commonly, good and faithful. Check out episode one, coming to a podcatcher near you on February 15th.